Welcome to the Pints and Polishing Podcast, the most influential and listened to podcast in auto detailing. Welcome to the community. Hi, welcome to the Pints and Polishing Podcast. I'm Marshall. That's Nick. Hey, you want to interact with us? Go to HyperClean Specialist Group on Facebook. If you want to learn about our products, go to hypercleanstore.com. And if you want to learn how to do something with HyperClean, go to the YouTube channel, HyperClean Store on YouTube. Nick, this is one of the favorite episodes, growing more and more popularity. We got 20 questions on oh, yeah. that Ask Me Anything. You ready? Yes, sir. All right, let's do it. I'm going to hop hop into a nice nice beer in the morning because we're recording this a little early. I said, <laughs> hey, let's do it. Let's go ahead and have me a nice little hazy little thing IPA. While we get into these questions, starting off, fun one from Ryan. Here we go. What are your thoughts on Christmas bonuses for employees? Asking for a friend. Ha, ha. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, look, we, we do Christmas bonuses, especially for our, our longest tenured people, VR, hyper clean. I, I think, look, we all have to be up front. Christmas bonuses are really about, you know, your production in a company. You know, I know that when I worked for people, it was the same way. What What is your role in that company? Bonuses are going to be different for everybody in that way. Uh, but I think th there's no doubt that all the the best companies are doing some form of of Christmas bonus for everybody now, profit sharing, all those kinds of things. And you just do your best, right? If you're getting your start in your business and you can only afford to pay a guy an extra hundred bucks, pay the extra hundred bucks, right? It's not about the the you know, people know if you're a small business, you can't give them $10,000, but something does do something, right? I mean, even a little something says, hey, I care. Uh, I would stay away from, and I'm going to say this because it's really popular, like I'm going to give my clients this, or I'm going to give somebody this or a plate. Don't give people gift cards. I wouldn't do that personally. Uh, we see that far too often. It's kind of cheesy, you know, put a card, say thank you, write some words, give somebody some cash, let them do what they want. You know, oh, well, she drinks Starbucks. I got it, man. Just give her the couple hundred bucks in her check or, you know, a little thing of cash or whatever it is you're going to do. That's my take. I don't know everybody else's take on gift cards, but when I see a gift card given to me, I'm like, what am I going to do with this? Um, you realize how big my wallet would have to be to carry these gift cards around? I can't have it, Marty. I got I got an organ, and I'm a money clip guy, not a wallet guy. I think I got a buy and sell coming up from Nick. Is is what I just heard right <laughs> oh, there, so. dude? Don't send me a gift card. Marty's like, hey, let me get you a gift card to this brewery. You know, <laughs> Ryan, if you get a uh, a box in the mail that says Fragile, well, <laughs> mm, we know where that came from. All right, so let's move on. Brian, what are your thoughts on pulling seats? Oh man. We are seeing a resurgence in people pulling seats when they detail an interior of a car. And this is kind of going across the Facebook group world a lot now. And, and you're seeing people have a lot of trouble and they're going in trying to troubleshoot putting the seats back in. There is a huge insurance liability, hmm. a huge insurance liability. If you are operating business properly and you're telling your insurance company that you're removing modern seats, my guess they would tell you you're not covered. I would guess that even large car washes can't get coverage for that. There's a reason for it. You have airbag systems. You have electronic systems that are being wired through things under the seat. So you're going to have two things happen. You have an insurance liability, and on the second fold, you have another thing. You can set an airbag off. You can fry an electrical system because you didn't plug it in right or you didn't disconnect the battery or whatever rule that that, that car company has in their electronic system that you're not aware of because you don't build cars. This is unwarranted in any way, shape, or form to do this in the modern car. Look, you get a 1988 Ferrari and it's four bolts and a couple rails and you take it out. That's one thing. And you're probably getting paid for that that, that that restoration work. And the other thing is they don't really have a lot of torque specs usually when you go back to those old cars. You have torque specs now and all these things. 
you are not covered. That car gets in an accident, gets in a fender bender, that seat comes loose, that's on you because if you don't think the insurance company is going to investigate, we had a fender bender in my family this week. They are already investigating on a 12-mile-an-hour fender bender, the other driver. The investigation units inside of insurance companies, they're going to find out you remove that seat because they're going to ask the customer, who's touched this car? And they're going to go back through their records and say, you know, Johnny's detailing, touch my car. They're going to come talk to you and say, yeah, I removed the seat. Boom, it's on you. And your insurance is not going to cover it. I've just been fascinated over the years of why people have been doing it. Oh, to get under the seat better. Like, hold on. Like, my thing is I've always been like, what tool does it take to remove a seat? Oh, it's just a wrench or something, right? Yeah. When did that become a detailing tool? I never as a detailer carried around sets of sockets or whatever to do something on a car. I'm not a mechanic. I clean yep. things like, yep. that's, yeah, that's it's, it's just unwarranted. Right. Yeah. And, and it, you just get into this place where, you know, we talk about this all the time. You fall down the, the wrong internet rabbit hole and you start to do things cause you saw it on the internet. And all of a sudden you don't realize you could be looking at, and when insurance companies come after you, remember their lawyers are in the office. They're not hiring a lawyer. They're there. They get paid to come after you. They, they don't have to call anybody. They walk to John's office down the street, uh, down two doors down and go, hey, we got a lawsuit here. And you're not talking about 50 grand. You're talking about 100, 200, a million. That's the world that they live in. And I, I'm going to guess most guys removing seats cannot absorb that kind of bill. You're not going to want Harvey from uh, the suits coming after you. <laughs> yeah, you don't want Harvey there. going. You yeah, don't yeah. want Harvey. All right, so Manny wants to know, What's your opinion on color change PPFMs? Now, cool. Let's just go there. That's, yeah, yeah. that's definitely start. I mean, they're cool. Are the current films reliable? Great question. What do you think about color change PPF market? How does it look? And going into the future of 2024. Right. So you got two really dependable things. You have gloss PPF, which is just normal PPF. And then you have matte PPF. Those are very reliable. Those are the two mainstays. Stealth, you know, people use all kinds of words, satin. When you start talking about color change and you start saying, I'm going to take this white card, I'm going to make it purple or I'm going to make it green or whatever. I think there's a lot of promise in the color change world. Vinyl is a really cheap, really non-durable product. Doesn't provide any protection to your car at all. It's, it's, it's great for color change. It's great. But if PPF gets to where it, it looks like it's going, this could be revolutionary. Now, the problem is, are you going to get a lot of vinyl wrappers that are going to come over and start using colored PPF? I don't know. Where I'm at on durability is I'm sort of up in the air. You know, the companies that have kind of paved the way on this are not the highest quality companies. I've tested some of their products. I wouldn't even use their, 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 their gloss PPF. Uh, I think it's going to get there. I think there's no doubt it's going to happen. The question is durability, and I don't think anybody knows just yet because we have a lot of companies, especially a high-end company, that did a lot of really, really uh, cosmetic PPF, and none of that lasts. And that's the highest-end company, or they, they position themselves as the highest-end company, and that stuff wears away. That stuff has all kinds of failures. That stuff has problems. I think we just kind of need to see this play out, but I think it's going in the direction that it's going to be very valuable at some point. Cool. All right. Shuki has a great question that I'm, I'm curious too, what you think on, and it's uh, techniques for following up with customers. Now we don't know if this is after you've, you know, listed a sales call to them, you know, you tried to up, or if this is just a regular type of customer that uses your service, you know, weekly or, you know, bi-weekly. Now yeah. here's why I wanted to say it out that way is because we use a pest control service and there are follow up with me via text Oh yeah, and wanting me to do these five star reviews, and then I leave the review, and they text me back saying, "Hey, we really need you to leave this review." And I go, "Hey, I left the review. What's wrong with your follow up system? Like this yep. does become a pretty big issue. What are you know? What is the way that you handle either at sales calls or regular customers? How do you follow up with them and stay in contact?" I, I think we're kind of going backwards where email is becoming the more accepted way to, uh, you know, put yourself in contact with a customer. They can read it on their time. 
the phone's pretty invasive with text message. Okay. And remember, text message is different than a phone call because if you call somebody one time and you leave a follow up voicemail, they listen to it once, it's kind of over. You have the other side of it where text message is seen as pretty invasive. Okay. It, it just is. Doesn't mean that, that, that you don't use it, but even you and I've had this conversation. You make a lot of people mad when you're using text message, right? Because it just, it kind of, it, it, it vibrates, it dings on their phone, whatever they have it set up. You know, if, if your system goes haywire, it sends five or six. And when it was supposed to send one, where an email is just less invasive. So I would say two things. I'm always a fan of picking up the phone after a service, especially if you've done something comprehensive, a, a coding or something like that, and following up with somebody within seven to 10 days. Or you can write a really, really nice email that, that you send out at that seven-day mark and follow up. When you get into the text message world, I get it, man. A lot of you guys are, are 20, 25 years old. You know, your, your life is text message. You don't see it as invasive. As people get up the food chain that you want to deal with, they do see text message as invasive. So the reason is, is because if you look at my phone when we get off this podcast, I'll have 75 text messages. I'm already bombarded with people that I need to talk to. You start to put in people that are just trying to get a review or follow up. It gets pretty, it gets pretty cumbersome. And so people just have to understand, I, I don't want to be anti-text message. I just think there's a more professional way through email and a really, really well thought out phone call to follow up. And those things are just seen as less invasive. Oh, good. Good answer. Wesley, what is your guys' SOP for maintenance client vehicles? Always interested to see other people's order of operations. Well, look, I can't, I can't walk through everything, but I'll tell people exactly what happens. It's a thorough. It goes very fast. Let yeah, me just say, goes, yeah, yeah. from it's, seeing Nick here, Logan, he is fast. It's, he is yeah, very it's fast and, and efficient. Yeah. yeah. So uh, all barrels, all faces all tires are a standard operating procedure hit every time wheel wells are hit every time, right? You saw my wheel cleaning when I was there, it's thorough. And that's the way our maintenance is when it comes to the paint collection work is different. That's a rinseless and waterless. It's pretty self-explanatory. Those cars are mainly just keeping them fresh because they kind of sit undercover daily drivers. We're going to do a rinse, uh, most of the time we're going to do foam wash. If it's, if it's a dirty vehicle, we're going to use cleanse. We're going to do, you saw my wash procedure. My guys are going to use our, our wash procedure with, um, a towel and never, ever reintroducing anything to a bucket or anything like that. Uh, so we're going to go through, uh, the outside pretty thoroughly full inside and outside window, window cleaning all the time, every time, including the windshield. Then we get to the interior. We're going to use Revive on every surface, brushes. If we need to, we'll, we'll use some compressed air. Most maintenance clients don't need that. We're going to go through cup holders. Every crack and crevice gets uh, a brush. Gets Every surface gets wiped every time. Uh, so when I say we're thorough on our maintenance clients, this is why I get offended when people say a mobile car washer. A mobile car washer is not going to do all of these things right? Because that's not in their budget. So when we talk about maintenance, I'm talking about every surface and we go through and clean the carpets with a towel and some cleaner, especially driver side. We will wipe those carpets down if the customer revive. wants signs, if they don't want signs. I can revive and carpets on a mate. Like it's amazing. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and here, here's the thing that people have to realize when I, when I, when we say maintenance, and you talk about you're touching every single surface every time, that's way different than somebody washing a car, right? So everything you can think of, we got brushes for the wheels, brushes for the interior. We're doing everything, windows inside and out. We're doing it all. Uh, we're going through the front grill every time. We're, we're doing every single step every single time. And, and that's why people get addicted to our service because it, it's not a car wash. Obviously, we're dressing tires. We're doing we're doing all that kind of stuff. Yep, absolutely. And 
when it's done at that high level all the time, it just stays awesome. And that's what yeah. you find the people that just want that. So yeah. great question, Wesley. Uh, it is though, those people that want it done pretty much every week or every other week, which is why we preach nonstop maintenance, maintenance, maintenance. All right. C10 Nick doing a full detail. All right. So put us into context. Thank you. C10 Nick. Once a glass coating is applied and you continue to coat a vehicle and finish, do you go back over the windows with a glass cleaner for a final wipe down or will this degrade the glass ceramic coating you just applied? Yeah. So I would say you should be applying glass coating to perfectly clean glass. Right. I also would say in my procedure, glass is the last thing to get coated. Right. So I don't I, I don't do it in front of anything else because glass is such a finicky thing that you want to appear crystal clear for your customer. I leave that for the very end. And then I don't have to worry about these issues. I would not spray glass cleaner directly on a coating that I'm trying to have cure up. I wouldn't do that. Um, so if you're having any issue and, and we all run into little issues, if, you, if you're finding yourself running into an issue, I think the thing you have to do here is understand maybe the prep step is not exactly right on the glass. And again, you can do it with, uh, our glass cleaner. Then you can go back with wipe. You can do whatever it is you want to do, but you need a perfectly clean glass before you lay the glass coating down. And then you won't have the worry about having to touch it up again. Yeah. All right, Mark, what is the most difficult paint you have had to work on from defect removal to finishing? Well, Honda S2000, like AP1s and AP2s were pretty horrific because they were so soft. Porsche ran into this for a long time, so there was a whole host of Porsches that were really bad. Uh, I, I think when you think both being a problem, people are like, well, when it's soft paint, it's easy defect removal for sure then it's hard to finish. So you kind of have both sides of the coin, right? You mm -hmm. got to pick which one you don't want to fight the most. I hate fighting finishing uh, oh, personally, just because it's, it, it just gives you a, I'd such rather a fight headache. The cut. Yeah. yeah. I'd, I'd rather fight the cut because I can always put a stronger pad, stronger compounds, yep. you know, more pressure. I can always do kind of, I can go to a rotary. I can do whatever I got to do. I mean, hell I can sand if I need to. Uh, I just rather fight that step than fight the finishing. Mm -hmm. Look, I had some really, really finicky nineties Ferraris, uh, that were single stage paint that, that should have never been finicky. And then they were, I've had a few in my career that, but those Honda S 2000 AP one AP twos were miserable. Uh, Porsche just had some miserable stuff in the nineties that was like, you know, I've gotten good at it. I did one here in the shop. I think it was one of the first cars I ever brought in here. Uh, when I opened the shop, it was it was really easy to cut and then really finicky to get the haze out. Uh, I think there's a host of cars, but it's just always I just kind of don't like soft paint. You know, soft paint just because they're all different, right? Even from the same manufacturer, a GM black is not a GM black. You could have one that finishes down easier than the other. And it, it, I just would rather fight the cut. So I think it's going to be personal preference. There's some guys that don't want to fight the cut at all and would rather fight the finish. So I think that's going to be where people have the difference of opinion. And most difficult, I, I've never shied away from hating GMC black, right? Like, yeah. And I think it's the most common thing that most people have a problem with. You're right. You listed some, some paints that, they're very specific, but the average person going into a GMC vehicle, oof, they're in for yeah. a real, real difficult time. Yeah. And it just matters what you, you know, because I come from the rotary world like you, I don't mind a hard cut because Absolutely. I can just, I can just but mow the it finesse. down. Yeah. The finesse it's the, it's, of finishing it's, a GM black. And <laughs> after I've cut, now having to waste a bunch of time on the finish, I'm like, oh my God, dude, this is... So it's, it's just personal preference. I bet you there's a lot of guys that are DA only uh, that really haven't, you know, dipped their toe into rotary that really hate hard cuts, you know, some some early 2000s, late 90s BMWs and things like that in the E39 world, Audis, they probably hate. For me, I just kind of hate finicky paint on the finish more than anything. I hear that about Audi paint. And you, as we go through this, that's what makes me go, yeah, that, that does make sense. 
Yeah, there's plenty of people that don't like Audi paint, but they do stay in that soft kind of DA vibration world, and they're yeah. afraid of going in and attacking. So. Yeah, and they just don't, and they're just their skill set's not there yet for heavy cut, and that's understandable. I mean, it's just the world we started in. I mean, you heavy mm -hmm. cut everything, right? So it was like, oh, I got a heavy cut, no big deal. Zzz, put the rotary on it, move around. So it, it it's going to be where your skill set at is at with the cars you probably hate the most, honestly. All right. Nate wants to know how you deal with regression. What is your process in getting back up and building beyond the regression you've had? Hmm. Well, you're going to have some regression. I mean, uh, that that's for sure. Give us a I second for anybody that might not know what regression is. Go ahead. And what is yeah, regression let, to you? Let, let, Let's just say, you know, look, I'm doing $10,000 a month. I'm humming along. I've done $10,000 a month for six months. I come on my next month and I did $5,000 in business. You know, then I did 7000 the following month and now I've regressed, right? And in business, guys, regression's all about the finances you're bringing into your business to me. Um, that's how I judged it. I'm assuming that's what he's talking about here of, of you know, uh, I'm not building my company bigger month over month or year over year or quarter over quarter. I, I kind of think a lot of guys are probably not going to love this answer, but you got to look at yourself pretty hard. When things start to go poorly, you've got to be your worst critic. And I mean, nobody can ever say anything mean to you that gets under your skin because you're already pretty damn hard on yourself. What I see and, and things, and this isn't just detailing, businesses that I've seen fail, it's because guys convinced themselves they were the greatest to ever walk the earth and they can't, you know, things are just going to work out for me and they're not hard on themselves. So you got to be honest about why you have the regression. Are you not work putting in the work you need to? Maybe you've kind of coasted. We see this a lot around the holidays. You know, this is the time of year where guys all of a sudden look up and they've wasted two weeks in November another two weeks at the end of December, they've basically lost a month worth of work and their business wasn't on sound footing to begin with, right? So should you be taking Black Friday off because everyone's taking Black Friday off or should you have been working? So first and foremost, are you really putting in the work, right? The other thing is if you are convinced you're putting in the work and you're regressing, now you got to analyze, did you put in the right work? Did you do the right things? This is why I'm not a fan of saying work hard. Uh, you can work really hard and go, yeah, and go nowhere, right? You can work hard and go nowhere. But if you work hard and put the work in and it's intelligently being focused on the right things, you're going to have success. Uh, to get out of a regression, most guys don't do this. Go knock on some doors, man. Introduce yourself to some people. Ask yourself, in a, in a 10 mile radius, does everybody with money know what you're doing? If the answer is no, walk in an office, introduce yourself. You know, you can put yourself a nice little flyer together. You can put yourself a nice business card together. You can go in and introduce yourself. This is where I would start. Insurance agents, body shops, uh, small dealerships, uh, anything. When you've regressed, everything's on the table, man. You got to go get out of this headache of, I don't want to go do that. No, you're going to go do that. Go knock on a door, introduce yourself, go to a business park where people are dry, driving nice cars and go talk to them. Guys are sitting in their office bored. You'd be surprised how many people, if you're dressed nice and you come in and you got a smile on your face, we'll give you the time of day. We'll say, Hey, you know, I have been thinking of having my Mercedes worked on. It's great. You stop by, uh, you know, go to your local country club, introduce yourself to, to the general manager. Go to where place to go to places where people have money and introduce yourself. You know, I get it. You guys all want to be on the internet. Cool. Are you putting five grand a month behind your internet? If the answer is no, you're not doing enough. So you're aggressing because you're trying to do something that that Facebook and Google are in business to make money. If you're not spending enough money with them, they're not going to help you. Want to know why? They're in it for the money. They don't run Google just as a charity. So again, regression happens. How hard are you on yourself? Right? That's what it is. And, 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 and to your point, how hard are you? And then will you make the changes that are needed? 
Cause you yeah. just listed out what they should change and go into. But if you're seeing regression, it really becomes, do you make the change? Do you cut the ties of where you you've been doing and you'd make yeah. these split decisions? We're having to make some quick decisions on some things. Not yeah. that we're regressing. It just, sometimes you have to make quick decisions. And if you're regressing, right. Your you decisions have to be quicker. Quick. You yeah, better make got, them quick. And, and by the way, you, you you're not hard on yourself because you want to hate yourself. You're harder on yourself because you want to you get to the better. next level. Yeah. Right. Tom Brady, Michael Jordan, the 10% of business owners that make money there. Many of you don't understand how hard they are on themselves. That that's the problem is like when I wake up in the morning, I don't think anything's going well. I don't think VR is where it should be. I don't think hypercleans where it should be. I wake up every morning thinking, we're five to 10% of what we should be in any company that I'm a part of. And that means I have 90% to improve. So if you're out there thinking you got this thing by the balls, so to speak, I, I think you got to switch that mindset to say, you got to get in the mindset that nothing's ever good enough and that you're always going to get better, whether that's a process, whether that's uh, hiring an accountant, whether that's going out and doing a, a sales plan, a marketing plan, it's never good enough. And so you're always tweaking, you're always moving in a little bit of a different direction on things that don't work, but you also got to double and triple down on the right things. When those right things present themselves, you got to hit the gas pedal. Yeah. You got to go gotta into go. those things. Got to go. Yeah. So I hope that helps. Yeah. Speed, speed in the decision-making. Okay. So Brian asked if a friend of yours has a budget of 25,000 to spend on a used second vehicle, that would be fun to drive as you know, kind of like a weekend car. <laughs> yeah. That isn't a Miata. Thank you, yeah. Brian. What kind of suggestions would you give them? Well, I'm going to go with the, the tried and trues. Go buy any of the, the fun Audis to drive, buy any of the fun BMWs to drive. Those are going to be the most bang for the buck. Those are going to be the most fun. They always have been you're going to run into some problems with those. So you got to be okay with some repair bills when you start getting down to that price, but you can find a hell of a lot of car, a lot of fun. Look, you can find, uh, you know, some beat up Ford Raptors from 2011, 12, 13, 14, that, that are hell of fun to drive around, uh, you know, weekend car, uh, they're going to be higher mileage, but super dependable, a lot of horsepower. You can go a lot of different directions. Uh, you know, you can also look for, uh, I don't know if the the newer Toyota Supra has enough miles on it yet. That would be a fun. A GR86 would be fun from from Toyota. You could do a lot of things. You could you could go find you know a, a Corolla GR that has miles on it if you're lucky enough. I don't know where those are price wise right now, but that would probably if you found one with some mileage on it would would be down in that area. Uh, I think you can do a lot of things, but I would always point to people. You're not going to have fit, finish, and fun like that Audi BMW world at that price point, right? Again, it's going to come with some, hopefully you like to wrench a little bit, fix some minor issues, you know, fix an oil leak or two here, you know, here and there. That's going to be the most fun in my experience at that price point. All right. Here's a great one from Kathleen. Very specific about ceramic coatings and door jams. So if you, you got a car that somebody has paid you to do ceramic coating on, what do you do with the door jams, the trunk, the tailgate, and all that stuff? I love this question because yeah. you don't really think about it until you start doing it and you go, hey, that's also paint. And if you yeah. don't coat the jams, you could visually see a massive difference. I love wiping them down after I'm done with my applicator. What What about you? What do you do on, on jams and stuff if you're coating a vehicle? Yeah, we, we do all that stuff above our entry level uno right so entry level uno jobs they're not really paying for that level of service right but if i'm doing a one step in a coding application of dose tray sparta doesn't matter i'm going to do every painted surface right and it, it is one of those things that make sure you're charging for it make sure that's in your time budget and, and everything you're doing. A lot of people are undershooting some of those one-step encoding prices by my view, because they're not thinking of the intricate areas that you got to get in and lay some coding down. Because look, as you know, those, those intricate areas are going to add some time. 
you know, that could add another, you know, 20 minutes to a coding job, 30 minutes to a coding job. So if it's not in your price, you probably can't do it. If it's in your price, you should have no problem doing it. And I would say if I was doing a one step in a coding application of a multi-year coding, I would be doing all of those areas. One of the most difficult things that we've really been talking about seeing is people that are able to stay open in the Northeast, the North in general, you got snow all over the ground, but they're still open. Love this question from a guy that has pushed through and continues to push through winters. He's up in the Northeast. Josh is curious for those that operate year round in states that see snow. So already, like we said, great job. Yeah. Many people close. So love to see the people that continue to thrive. Up there, you got road salt, you got de-icer chemicals infused with the road salt, pine sap, bugs the size of Volkswagen. Interesting. I didn't know bugs live through snow, but <laughs> yeah. awesome to see that, yeah. you know, so cool. How does Sparta hold up? Great yeah, question. I, I think from Uno on up in our lineup, we pride ourselves on it holds up to everything. Is there a limit? Yeah, severe neglect is going to start degrading any coating. I think the one thing that everybody, and, and this happens in snow regions with coating, they're so concerned about road salt. One thing people need to realize is road salt's pH neutral. It's when it becomes wet that it starts to become corrosive. Okay, so obviously if there's snow on the ground, it's going to become wet. Now that starts to change some of the makeup and it starts to make it a little bit you know, more on the alkaline side. But our coating is good on the pH scale, 13 and a half. That's the top of the pH scale, right? So you don't need to sweat our coatings being broken down by road salt unless somebody's leaving the road salt on for three, six, nine months at a time and allowing it to become even more and more corrosive to the coating. And even in some of our testings in, in a harsh area of Denver, we've seen some people neglect vehicles with Trey on them. And in three and a half years, Trey's still on there doing really well after a thorough wash. I don't want to encourage people to do that. But I think guys that are in road salt areas need to relax a little bit and understand road salt is a negative, just like any contaminant is negative. But... This is when I would tell people, I need to see a monthly to rinse this off. At the very least, we need to get it cleaned up. We need to do those types of things. I don't care if you have some extra additive or a different type of salt. No road salt is going to be 14 on the pH scale. That's not going to happen. So you have chemical resistance all the way up to that point with our coating lineup. Calm down. Stop worrying. But this is the time to have common sense approach to not only bring money into your business, but not freak your customers out that their coating is going get, to get degraded in two weeks. It, you do want to get it off of there. So provide a service. Come in monthly. Come in bi-monthly during the wintertime. Let us at least clean this up. I understand, but you know, price it accordingly. Bring them in. Keep them engaged with, their, with your business, and you're going to be fine. So Sparta is incredibly resistant to road salt, but that doesn't mean leave it on there all year, right? I want guys to understand that if you want coatings to perform, it's going to need some love, but it doesn't need, you don't need to freak out about road salt. So people can look at the question. We're not going to dive into all the stuff that he asked because there's still people that want to know how do our coatings compare against others right and what does it look like inside of that world of ceramic coatings it's very interesting the way people want to you know pair some against others mostly people just i think ultimately want to know will my customers be cared for will yeah. will what i'm selling them work and i think this is where you and i always want to say but you're the answer like you're yep. supposed to be the guy that takes care of your customers so use our coding, take care of your customers, and you'll have a really great relationship and your business will continue to thrive like we yeah, see. And, and also remember, we're undershooting our durability, mm -hmm. right? So 
Uno more accurately in most people's lineup would probably be their two-year coding. Mm -hmm. Okay. In most people's lineup, our two-year coding is a lot of people's five-year, but most people's three to four-year. We're purposely overbuilding our lineup. So everyone, whether you're a car owner using our stuff or you're a professional, you can feel comfortable that what you're putting on there. And I think everybody that uses our coatings can feel that upon installation, that there is something different here, that there is something higher quality here. So you have to take that and go, I put these other coatings on and they don't feel like this one feels during application and take that as a, as a peace of mind, then watch what happens, see how the coatings hold up. I, we just don't have any issues in any climate period. Uh, so, absolutely. and that, that's the goal of our coating lineup. All right. So Jeremy wants to know, he's got a couple questions. What's your favorite tool under $5 under $10 is five is too low. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, so uh, he's yeah. thinking wire brushes and tight areas and stuff. It, it's an interesting question. All right. Tools, five to $10. Uh, I yeah. think you know, we did the wheel, the wheel cleaning video. It'll be put out very soon. You've got some specific brushes that you like, are they $10? No, but yeah. finding the right things are important to the care of the vehicle. Yeah. I'll kind of, I'll kind of go a different direction. Uh, good, good, Detail brushes that can get into every nook and cranny of a really delicate wheel. Look, that's that's 100% going to be one of the top tools because then you can buy another set of them and usually they're soft enough to do interior work and that kind of stuff. So that would be a very, very simple tool. But I'll, I'll say some stuff people don't think about. Toothpicks. Ah. You know, uh, you know those foam paint brushes, you know, that come in different sizes. That can, mm -hmm. if you really have some deeper vents, yeah, crevices, and some yeah. you know, crevices you can get into. Uh, I like pry tools, you know, little plastic pry tools, um, you know, to see if clips are broken on a door panel. Maybe you can reset it for your customer because it's just, you know, you know, when the door panel's kind of shaken, you can use a little pry tool and re, re put it in for them. Those are a couple bucks. Uh, you can do a lot of things that take you to the next level, but I don't see enough guys that that understand. You know, you have a a, a manual gear shift, and they have the 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 little edge around the outside. You take a toothpick in there, and you start to dig around the emblem and the and the gear shift uh, head, so to speak. That's going to speak volumes to your interior detailing. It'll help you get around some tighter buttons and things like that. Th those kind of tools have kind of been invaluable to me. Uh, over the years, uh, metal picks for to get it down into uh, the, the the perforated seats now where there's debris and all those things. We had that at HQ when I was there working on a Porsche. Something was stuck in the seat. Those things are a couple bucks, but having them allows you to take something to the next level. And it's they're all just a dollar here, dollar there, and you you know you can keep a lot of that stuff on hand. So why didn't you go the Timu route and people show like these windshield cleaners where you can go down and help? I mean, they're a dollar ninety nine on Timu. I, you didn't go yeah. that route, man, Nick. I, hey, look I if it, if, if I it helps you, it. I'm all for it. Look if it helps you, I'm all for it. But you know, I, I'll stick with the the tried and true, and hopefully, guys will pick up some of those things. All right. So Jeremy also asked for products that HyperClean hasn't released yet. Which companies would you recommend for those products? Interesting yeah. question. Uh, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> uh, here, here's what I'll say. Always buy the best stuff you can buy, okay? And you all know the leaders in whatever product you're going to buy. You know the couple of companies that build a good compound and polish because there's not a hundred of them. There's a few of them, right? And, and so that would be my advice. There's a lot of guys we're talking to now about a specific brand that the first words out of their mouth are not how great the product works, not how great it does, but how cheap it is. And that's from distributors to detailers to, to DIYers. The first thing out of their mouth about this brand is, well, you know, it's cheap. That's kind of my answer. If you told me it was great, you wouldn't talk to me about the price. So if you're buying something, remember, all of these chemicals are affordable. You're talking about a difference of 5 to $10 to buy a great product or buy a cheap product in most cases, 
right? You're not talking about uh, this one was $10, this one was $1,000. So you're risking your car or your customer's car for a cheap chemical that saves you really nothing per use. So the mindset has to shift of nobody's making exponentially more money than another company. So if somebody's just selling something cheap, that would be the red flag that I would run away. All right. So probably the most interesting question of all of this, yeah, you know, listen, we got the Fruity Pebble gang and we got everything going on over there. We want to know what your gang is doing, Nick, because Donald says, when are we getting together? Yeah. I know two other guys in Wisconsin and I'll be stopping by them as soon as I'm in their area. What do you got going on, man? When are you and Donald getting together? Yeah, I, I will say this uh, to Donald and everybody. We've been talking to some distributors. I think we do want to do something. You know, we need to have like a, a hyper clean, you know, uh, you know, event of some kind. I'll say there's a tough part of this because, you know, you don't really know how to pull it off. Not <laughs> from the invite perspective, but how do you make it valuable? I'm really concerned with valuable things, right? What what can we do to make it valuable? Look, man, we'll all hang out and have some steaks and some beers and 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 sit around and 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 have a good time. But what can you do during the day that provides real value to everybody? And I think that's where you and I get into this this training world. Is we've always talked about where's the value, right? If there's a ton of value, go do it. If there's not, which most times there's not, just getting together and hanging out that would get you know, a few hours of your time. What can you do for the other 10 hours that provides real value to everybody that comes and gets together? And, 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 and so look, that's something, uh, maybe as we get into new, a newer facility or, or we do things our way and, and build out something our way that we have it at our, at our HQ. But yeah, there's no doubt that that is a topic. That is a topic that we're discussing. But again, we're trying to find how do we make it valuable for everybody. Tanner wants to know, how do you solve the problem of people being promised lifetime coatings at other shops when you're offering Sparta as a five-year coating? Yeah, it's a big issue for us here. I mean, lifetime coatings have been in the city for a long time that I'm in, and I know a lot of other people listening to this are in the same boat. I, I would say this. If a customer ever brings up a lifetime coating to me, I have a simple rebuttal. Have you ever had anything last a lifetime? I haven't, you haven't, they haven't. And most of the time they're questioning that, believe it or not. In their head, they're like, this doesn't make a lot of sense. I think a lot of times, many of us get really, really caught up in this. Whoever is saying this outlandish thing and what their effect on my business is going to be, right? This company over here sets their cars on fire, and we don't do that. And, you know, they're getting all the attention. Well, attention doesn't mean sales, no matter what anybody thinks. Most customers are not going to buy into a lifetime coding. If they do buy into a lifetime coding, I'm going to save you the trouble. You didn't really want to deal with them anyway, right? You're not, you're not losing business to that. You think you are, but you really aren't. If they do call you and talk to you about it, you need to be very, very transparent and say, I'm a professional in this and I don't believe in lifetime codings. I, I would never put my name behind that. I would never, because clear coat's not a lifetime product and that's what manufacturers put on your car. It's not lifetime. It doesn't have a lifetime warranty. So what you're telling me is PPG and DuPont are not building a lifetime paint system but magically, uh, Jim Bob's detail supply is giving you a lifetime coating that PPG and DuPont just don't want to put on the car. I mean, if they knew they could take money out of your pocket as a detailer, trust me, PPG would be taking the money out of your pocket. They would have solved that already. Nothing's lifetime. And so I think this is where transparency is really important. You know, you need to be the expert in the area and you need to be very, very direct and blunt about that stuff doesn't work. When has it ever worked in your life? Ask a bunch of questions. Hey, what else in your life do you have that's lifetime warranty that you would even believe, right? Um, we, we, we've handled these calls 
I'll say the good people have come and, and done business with us and the other ones, they went somewhere else. And, so, and in a lot of cases, we ended up having to remove that coating and put our coating on at a cost to them. So don't, don't trick yourself into believing you're losing anything to those individuals because you aren't, you know, you aren't. I love the question. Does it sound too good to be true? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. Well, it probably is. You know, like. yeah. yeah. And, and look, we, we talked to a lot of successful shops that deal with the exact same thing that this guy's talking about in his question. The funny thing is they've stayed in business because of transparency. Mm-hmm. They've been the guy that, well, I'm going to go to, to Marty and Marty never really over promises anything. He just delivers. And that's the word you want out about you. And so these lifetime coding guys, let me tell you where they're going to end up. They're going to end up either kicking that in the toilet or they're going to end up out of business at some point. So don't concern yourself too much with those individuals because nobody who's reputable is doing that. Agreed. All right. Randy wants to know, what is your opinion on opening? Okay. What is your opening or introductory line to a potential new customer like? So you meet somebody new you have some planned sort of line that you're going to always do to kind of spark that conversation. Is it something scripted or do you shoot it from the hip, you know, after a, you know, an observation from the customer, you know, is that a a gut thing or do you already have it pre-programmed that you always say a couple things to somebody? Uh, It depends. If we're deeper into the sales process, I go into my 20 questions, which we've had many podcasts on, right? You know, you need to have your 20 questions that gets them talking. When I first meet somebody, I treat them like I would treat a friend. I think that's really hard for guys to get through. I just want to conversate with them. If they have a car, hey, man, I really like these cars. You know, tell me why you bought it. Tell me what you like about it. I just want them to feel comfortable talking to me. I'm not really into my sales process until I, b- I believe I've built some type of rapport. And think about how you build rapport with your friends. You, you talk to them like people, not like a potential customer, right? So when guys talk to me, especially face-to-face, I just try to make it as comfortable as I can. And I just always go back to how would I talk to this person if they were my friend? Because I don't want them to feel uncomfortable. I don't want them to feel that I'm going to be pushy. But I get into questions way quicker than most people. Tell me what you like about your car. I open the door. Oh, man, cool interior feature. You know, what do you think about this? Knowing a little bit about cars, I kind of, you know, now, yeah, you're shooting from the hip. I know things to look at and go, hey, what do you think about that? This is a really cool feature. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, it's just two guys, two people talking, right? Like I had a lady in here that came in here with her Mustang Mach-E, and she was in love with that thing. So I didn't really talk about much else than the car. And then I just told her what service I would get if it were my car. And she was like, oh, you made this so easy. But it was like 90% of the conversation was just how much she loved her car. So I kind of follow the lead of that person a little bit. And if they're really into their car, man, I'm going to talk a lot about that car. I'm going to ask a lot of questions. How do you like it? You know, how's it to drive it? You know, what what features do you like? What, what do you really enjoy about it? Because I'm actually curious. I'm not doing it as a fake thing. I'm pretty curious as to why somebody bought the car that they bought. And funny enough, people love talking about their car. And and I love his question because I know there's thousands of people that listen to this episode. I know that they all struggle. Same as, right, if you, you're out and you're single and you see a pretty female yeah. and you want to go talk to them, but you don't know what to say to spark that conversation what do you like about your car is that question. I love that because we've all seen, whether it's at a gas station or parking lot or somewhere that we see a cool car, we see that person, but there's something inside of us that go, yeah. Oh, I don't know what to say. You know I'm what you can also car. say? You know, hey man, uh, I, think you, I think you have a cool car. Hey man, yeah. this, this car is really bad. Really cool I, I, you know, I was just over here checking it out. You know, how you liking it? Oh yeah. I like, I mean, sometimes you'll get somebody to say, dude, I wish I never bought this thing. Like you'll have oh, why, it. Yeah. You, know? yeah. you know, it's like, dude, I, I, you gotta be generally interested in cars to make this work long-term, right? Like you gotta find something that you like. And it's not really hard for me to talk to people about cars because look, my, I have some people in town. The first thing they're talking to me about is cars. 
Like they're not even car people, but they're talking about, we're going to get this car and that car. And I'm, I'm generally interested in it. Like, Hey, why are you guys picking that one? But I don't know. I, I think you got to have a general interest in why somebody has chosen that car. And then you have to start digging in and just having a good time. Like it was your buddy you were shooting the shit with about their car. And, and, and then look, you need to get into your 20 questions when you think this is, this customer needs to be brought along. Uh, there's no doubt, but very early on, it's just about, you know, shooting the shit with them. All right. Here's a very practical question for this holiday season. Somebody that's been in business a while. We've got some customers we really like. Okay. Dustin wants to know the holiday season is here. Been thinking about giving a gift to those special type of people that always, you know, we love these people. They're always great. They're always great. Do you give them a gift? What do you do? Uh, some of my best customers, I, I've taken them, you know, to a steak dinner before. What I find is most of the time the gift giving goes the other way. They want to give you a gift. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not real, probably the right person to ask yeah. about what to buy someone. But I think if you do stuff like cookies and stuff, it, it kind of gets like, it's just a cookie cutter thing. And do you and ever, don't did you get it. to that point where you go, the gift that I'm going to give this person, they would never really wow. want, right? Yeah. Like, well, it, echelon it's the same in their thing taste, me, right? Or, yeah. You know, I was like, I'll never be able to give them something that they would actually yeah. appreciate. It becomes a waste, you know, for the echelon, right? Those yeah. top people. Yeah. So, so I have taken, you know, customers I become close to, more like friends now. Say, so, hey, man, let's go grab some dinner on me you know, sit down. We don't even talk business or their car at that point. We're just more friends and, you know, how's your family and shit like that. I think the thing that people have to understand is, is like you said, you get to a certain position in life. You actually grow to hate gifts. And a lot of, of the people you're doing business with probably don't like receiving gifts because it makes them feel obligated to then do something because they're on a certain level. And the odds you're going to give them something that that they care about is pretty damn slim. So I I would say I would send a, a thank you email or give them a thank you phone call as my thanks to them before I'd give them a gift. It sounds like it wouldn't work, but I'm telling you it definitely would work. Guys would really, really be into it and they'd really like it. So I think for me, you're exactly right. You get to a certain echelon of person, they actually really don't like gifts because they can buy anything for themselves they want. It's just kind of how you feel in your life now when people are like, what do you want for a gift? I'm like, dude, just can we just all just have a nice dinner together and enjoy each other's company? And you, know, you really can't do that with customers. So, hey, if somebody has a creative thing, you know, put it in the specialist group under this post. I, I'm all ears. I think there probably is some cool stuff. I, I just, I, I don't know. I, I don't think I could really make that call. And I don't think the average detailer would really spend the money that it would take to get those cool gifts. I yeah, if you have did. 10, if you have that's, 10 customers, let me be very clear. You're in thousands of dollars of expense. Yeah, here. That's why I specifically was like, there's no way I'll be able to do this. And I just bowed out all the, like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're talking about thousands here. Guys. Thousands. We're not talking about buying somebody a $10 gift that that doesn't no. work. Mm -mm. Even a hundred dollar gift ain't going to work. Yeah, it, it, like, no, for sure. So, all right, Nick wants to know what vacuum setup is at your shop. We use a rigid, and they are okay. Listen, I'm a rigid fan. I've used them for years. I have them here, you know, but they're okay. They are what they are, right? You know, yeah. down to the vacuum rabbit hole we go, and having oh, trouble yeah. deciding what wall mount will actually make a difference. Uh, you know, watts and you know filters and all Specs that column and lift, all yeah. that stuff. What is the place for manufacturers? You know. Do you, you post these specs? You know, should you really go through all this stuff? He's yeah. really wanting to know some real deep stuff about a vacuum because it's an issue for him. So, yeah. you know, have you, have you gotten well, into that? I, ha I haven't. Look, I, the plan is over the next month, I'm going to dive into putting a wall mount solution in my shop. I think we're going to talk about putting a wall mount solution in HQ. We're not down this rabbit hole. I have been down the rabbit hole before. There's some commercial stuff that that you've seen in car wash setups that 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 are real setups. Look, I think you're probably for most of the things I I'm looking at, you know, you're probably in that five hundred to eight hundred dollar range. As you know, this stuff can get expensive. But I, I look at this and I'll tell you, 
we're still shot back rigid, you know, based. The The problem is, look, man, you got to drag it around. And if you can have a wall mount solution. So I don't know if I would, if I would look at it quite the same way as he is, where the wall mount solution to me is just about getting the shot back off the floor and having one place I can go to every time to pull the, the, the hose down and go ahead and go to work. Right. Mine's more about convenience, but you know, I'm at the stage and probably sounds like he's at the stage that you want to buy something good. So you don't have to buy one every year and all that kind of thing. So yeah, do some research. There's some high quality companies. I'm intrigued by MetroVac. It's, it's American made. Um, he's been at every show I've ever been at as the owner. I mean, you know, Marty, he's been at every show for 20 years. Uh, and it's in, in the United States and they, they put some research behind it and they, it's, everything's high quality metal and, you know, steel and all that kind of stuff. So I, I'd probably say that that's where I'm leaning. That's not a cheap solution, but I know guys in the group have shared that they've had good success with, with some of these other things that you can get online. I've just been a shop back rigid kind of guy and, and I am going to go away from it. I, I've said that before. Uh, but I just haven't gotten far enough down the rabbit hole, but I think you're talking about a bigger number than most people want to hear. And, and let's, let's think of for a second, it's a bigger question that people don't realize what they're asking. Same as they ask about ceramic coatings or different things. Hey, what are the specs? What, what is, what's the black and white number so that I can almost in a sense, ensure guarantee that when I spend and I can appreciate this is why I wanted to bring it up. I can appreciate this moment where somebody's going, Hey, what are the specs on this vacuum? Because I'm about to spend a thousand or $2,000, whatever it is. How do I make sure that these specs, these black and white numbers, these things written on a paper, these things actually will translate to this vacuuming working on a regular basis over time in the shop, doing everything that I need. And you go, that ain't going to happen. Yeah. No, what, what nobody's monitoring that. Right. So these people are putting specs that they want to put on their own sheet. You know, the tests that they've done, nobody's monitoring that. And, and that's the frustration I think he probably has is like, what, how am I supposed to believe? Look, man, you got to look who's been in business. You got to look who's build quality is of a certain level. I would look at build quality. Because usually people that are building things on a very high level, meaning they're using steel and they're using these types of materials, they are going the extra mile because that's a more expensive way to build it. They could absolutely change that over to plastic, cut their price in half, do all these other things. If they're choosing not to do that, there's got to be a reason. You know, businesses that have been in business 20 plus years, they're not idiots. So they're doing something out of quality. And so that that's why, look, I, I am thinking about the Metrovac system because I like that it's been around, it's family owned, it's American made. They build everything out of steel. I mean, that's something to me. May not be something to other guys, that's fine, but that's kind of how I look at it. And that doesn't mean that's what I'm going to go with, but that that would be high on my list today. And to tell you the truth, I probably wouldn't dig that far into specs because I don't really know that everything's on the up and up. We see this in the pressure washer world. Oh, you get two and a half gallons a minute. Then you use it and it's like, dude, this is like a gallon a minute and it's hardly any power. But they put it right, a sticker right on the pressure washer. It's two and a half gallons a minute. So it kind of tells you that the spec world is pretty gray. No, absolutely. Okay, next to last question. Randy wants to know, addition by subtraction. Have you ever got to the point where the staff grew faster than there was time to adequately train them and end up having them slow down the experience employees to the point you felt that it wasn't beneficial. Maybe I should just actually go ahead and downsize, dump these people because they didn't catch on. And here I am back to doing it all by myself. I love this question because yeah. there's thousands of people that deal with this. Oh, I got to bring somebody in to grow, but I don't adequately do my job as a manager I have to let them go because business doesn't make it. And she's yeah. here. I'm back to square one. Yeah. You got to look at your training protocol. First and foremost, you're always going to want to tweak that. You're always going to have failures in your training protocol. You're also going to have people that don't work out. So you're going to have both. Uh, I didn't have a choice. We were growing so fast. I had to bring people on and I had to learn the hard way of the things I was doing wrong. Take the blame on yourself and fix the problem you're going to hire some bad people. 
you're not going to hire majority bad people. So if you're always losing people, you have to start analyzing, okay, am I, am I bringing them into my company and training them properly? Or am I throwing them into the deep end of the pool? Cause you know what people don't love being thrown into the deep end of the pool. If they can't swim, it's not an enjoyable experience. If you've ever watched it, I mean, they freak out, right. And, and they mentally freak out when it's in a workplace, right. They're not going to freak out like somebody in the pool, but they're going to freak out mentally like that person in the pool. So it's your job to make them feel comfortable we we do a very good job today training people, but we're not perfect. We got to get it better and better and better and better and better. But there comes a point in time where you have to understand to grow, you're going to need bodies. You're going to need people. And so it wasn't a choice for me to to, to say, I'm not going to do this. I, that that wasn't a choice. And, and I, I never wavered on that. You know, I, I have frustrating times. Don't get me wrong. But I just battle through those and, and say, if I want to bring people into my atmosphere, I need to do the things right to put them in a position to succeed. Some are going to swim, some are going to sink. You move on from the ones sinking as fast as you, you can. You bring in new people and you just keep going forward. It's never going to be perfect, man. And everybody that's hiring thinks there's some kind of equilibrium where you're going to bat a hundred percent and your company's going to get to a certain level. That doesn't happen. You just got to battle through the headache and it just realize it's a part of doing business. All right, final question. I get to reserve uh, the right for the final one. So Nick never knows this question, and I love that about it. He gets to read the other ones, but this one comes out of nowhere. Will it be the Monty Python? How many, uh, you know, type of question? I think one day I'll ask you some random weird thing of, yeah. you know, sparrows flying. <laughs> but today it's a question that uh, it's much more... People will get an insight into our psyche of what we're thinking inside of something that goes on every day to people that go and start to put out information. When we begin to put out information, specifically on YouTube, then you get people that go, you're wrong, I'm right, and I'm going to prove to you why I'm right and you're wrong. Yeah. Nick, as we begin this world and going into YouTube and having these guys, how are you going to handle the fights on YouTube, hashtag banger. How you going to do it, man? This is where it's going to be a lot of fun as people begin to see people that question hyperclean and hyperclean you and I, how are yeah. we going to respond? What's that going to look like? Well, I think my mindset in three years has changed. You got a right to an opinion. Um, you know, we'll answer the question or the statement as politely as we can. And we're going to move on. You know, we, we had, we have had this for a while, right. And different platforms and, and different interaction. Look, man, the world's filled with people that would rather be right than rich. I'm not going to argue with those guys that want to be convinced they're right. We had somebody say they were certified by like 27 companies on a comment. I don't have to go back and forth with him. I know now know where he's coming from. And hey, man, thank you for the feedback. We hope you have a great day. If somebody really wants to learn about our product, I think that engagement's totally different. You know, we've shown that for years now. We're, we're more than willing to talk about our product. We're more than willing to do the things we need to do to, to help you understand what we're doing. It, it is tough. You know, I'll say to guys out there, a lot of people think, you know, we want to have a podcast or we want to do content. The negativity is part of it. You know, people are going to have their opinion of you without really knowing you, but doing two minutes of homework and make a bunch of statements that are so far from the truth that it kind of makes you angry until you see it a couple of times. And you're like, yeah, it doesn't make me angry anymore. Like, and, and that's kind of happened, you know, with this, with this YouTube comment you're referring to, like, I'm not worked up over it. You're not worked up over it. Uh, the guy stated his opinion more than, you know, more than welcome. It's a public platform. State your opinion. Thanks for the feedback. You know, you got to kind of move on. And that that's a lesson to me that I would not have taken five, six, seven years ago very well. Right now I just go, Hey man, we're concentrated on doing what we're doing. If it doesn't fit with you, all good, man. I hope you're enjoying whatever it is you're doing and, and, and you're having success no harm, no foul. Right. But the world of opinions is getting 
stranger and stranger, and you just kind of have to let it roll off your back. Great episode. Thanks, everybody, that put in the questions to the HyperClean Specialist Group. When we do these episodes, that's where you'll be able to ask your questions. So that is why we always say, hey, go join the HyperClean Specialist Group. It's the best place that you can, as a listener, interact with Nick, with myself, yeah. and with everybody else in the HyperClean community. Yeah. Thanks, guys.